Good morning. I'm standing back here. I never really looked what's back here. There's eight bottles of water. Do you have any idea what that means? I can go a long time on eight bottles of water. But I promise I won't do that. It's 26 minutes today. You don't even have to time me. Couple of things. One, we overlooked somehow. I was expecting it, and then it didn't, and I didn't know if something happened, but I think it didn't. Alan and Rhonda Keith, where are you? Would you stand where you're at? I, we only usually make people raise their hands. Well, I'm going to make you stand. He's got the most enviable beard of any man I know. Where is he? Over here. He went out. Well, there he's coming. Everybody wave. That's him. Yeah, that's him. What an entrance. Best introduction to a new member I've ever seen in my life. Scott and Laura Johnston, where are you as well? We're, they're back here. Okay, he's, where's your wife? She went out too. It's a family thing. Wow, okay. So they, they, they are, are new members of ours, and so we say thank you for being here. We're grateful to have you with us. It's a, great, a grateful thing to have them and, and, and everyone who, who comes to see us. If you're visiting with us, we know it's Easter today. We know it's Easter because we have a lot of visitors, and we're grateful to have every one of you. And uh, just pray that you have a great experience having been here. You can say you've been blessed to be here, and, and you'll give a, a, a second chance when you come back into our area again. We know it's, it's Easter because the pastel colors. We know it's Easter because of Stuart's pants. <laughs> Stuart, where are you? Would you stand up where you are? He's a real man. Stand up. Look at those pants. You'd never wear them any, either golfing or on Easter. And everybody else says, I'm man enough to wear them, but you ain't wearing them, are you? Yeah. And then there's Colby Lamberson's coat. Stand up, Colby, where you are. Look at this. What other occasion we have for that? You know it's Easter. You know it's Easter. You know that it's Easter because the, because the Texas Wallaces are with us. They came all the way from Texas because spring sing. So those of you who have spring sing, my son was in spring sing for the first time ever. And I, the whole time I watched him, I thought, that cannot be him because he dressed as a caveman and his hair was frizzled and he never liked getting dirty and stuff. And what a weird thing. And you know it's Easter because lads to leaders. Lads to leaders, was a, this is my first time to go to the convention and I've got to tell you I'm hooked about what they're trying to do there. And, and I'm not going to tell you all the things they won. I think it's for them to do. I'm going to tell you that Valley View was well represented and there's a sense of pride when you're in a room where one of our kids is performing, or, or not performing, but demonstrating a skill. And after it's over and everything's done, there's a hundred people coming out of that room who were supporting them, coming down the hall who are Valley View people. And when I realize there's a hundred of them, there's a huge percentage of the entire church that went there in support of our young people. And that just, that just brings just all sorts of chills to you when you see it. And last week I said, okay, now we're going to do the loving thing and you're just going to participate, but I want you to mash them real good, right? Okay, so in the middle of the award ceremony last night, here comes Emily Timms. You all know who Emily is? Cute girl, sweet, not a vicious bone in her body. She has a trophy from speech. She comes around the edge. She's in there with all her friends. She comes around the edge. I'm sitting in the back. And she comes down my row and she says, you told us to smash them. We're smashing them. She did that, just like that. And this vicious look on her face, evil almost. It was like, I thought, I need to repent of using this language when it comes to churches. But she got it, and she listened. And that lets me know kids are listening to me when I say something, right? 
Our kids represented us well. When they come back, they need to be, we just need to honor them. Listen, that's the only, in our culture, if you're in sports or if you're in beauty or something like that, you'll get all sorts of applause and trophies. And when our kids are doing the things they should be doing that will keep them faithful for life, often there's nothing said. And in this particular program, they actually get trophies, recognition for doing things that will forever be a blessing to them and the people who are around them. One particular section, they have K through two, second grade come up on, they can't really participate in stuff, but they, get, they do win a medal for doing it. And they walked across that stage. And they stood on that stage, and there were hundreds of them. I don't know how many there were from all over the place. And they stood on that stage, and they watched older people, high school people, stand and applaud them for starting their lives and doing spiritual disciplines in their lives. That's the only place in the world they'll see something like that. And we're behind that, and that's part of it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to say I know it's Easter because Lads to Leaders is here, and I'm grateful for this day. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. By the way, I'm supposed to say this to college students. It's Taco Tuesday on this Tuesday, so come to our house, 6 o'clock, tacos. We'll even have barbecue to put on top of it. I didn't know that uh, barbecue nachos was a thing until Randy got some at a place this past week, and they put cheese and barbecue sauce and mustard on it. Why would anybody do that? I ate one of those, and I said, why would anybody do that? If you want to do that, you can do that, but the mustard is going to be set aside for you college students. I remember not long ago that I used to be told, I would be told that you can't mention the words Christmas or Easter from the pulpit. Anybody remember these times? Uh, it's like a holiday that we don't recognize. We don't acknowledge it. We kind of pretend it's not there. I never understood that, really. Um, because Easter is a big deal, and we're a little more historically sure that this is actually the weekend kind of thing, the, the day when so many years ago our Lord rose from the dead. And when the whole world's willing to focus on it, it seems to me that we should give some attention to it and talk about why we think it's significant. This is a big day. Now, it's true that every Sunday we recognize this. We celebrate it on the Lord's Supper. After the supper's over, we think he rose from the dead. He didn't stay there. We believe that, but, but you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for every day with my wife and my kids, but those anniversaries, you know, you have to pay particular attention to anniversaries. Men are supposed to spend a little more on the anniversary day than just every day, right? And that's what this is. This is a day where in history the greatest event that ever happened in human history took place when Jesus came as a man and lived so long a perfect life, and then he was killed. He allowed himself to be killed by evil people. And three days later, on a Sunday morning, he rose, he was raised from the dead by his father. He didn't rise of his own strength, he was dead. God, through the Holy Spirit, raised him from the dead, and from that moment forward, everything has been solved for Christian people, for all of humanity. 
before this time, people were hopeful that God was going to do something to get us out of our misery, but we didn't know for sure, and evil could have thwarted it. But after this day, this day in history, after this day, we have a hope that's absolutely secure, absolutely sure. We look back on it, and we know it historically happened, and we look forward to the day when our resurrection happens. Everything was resolved on that day. And so this is Easter, and Christians need to talk about Easter. And you don't experience Easter just because that day is written on your calendar or because you get an extra day off or any number of things. It's not that because you hide eggs. Easter is Easter because Jesus rose from the dead. And for those who entrust themselves to that story, it means you too have nothing to fear and your hope is all secure in Christ. It is the answer to the major questions of life. And so this morning... We're going to play a kind of Jeopardy game, sort of. And I know a lot of you like Jeopardy. Every time I go visit people either at the nursing home or at their homes, they're watching Jeopardy, it seems like. They like this game. It's kind of fun. But the answers to these questions are all the same. I'm going to pose a question, and you're going to answer it. And you're going to answer it the same way every time because the answer is the same to all the questions. The answer is <clears throat> resurrection. So I want you to try it when I pose a question. You ready? I'm going to... Um, uh, um, what do we think happened three days after Jesus died? Yeah, I want you to get used to that because when I ask the question, I'm just going to look at you and you've got to say the answer. Question number one, why do people believe the Christian faith is true? Exactly. It is the hinge that determines whether the whole thing that we preach and teach and why we're here on Sunday morning is true or not. If there is no resurrection, Paul says, we are the most pitiful people on the planet. And we might as well just all go home right now and eat and drink and be merry and just live our lives. But what we know is this. Resurrection was God's vindication. This is a strange word. We don't use it often. But here's what vindication means. Vindication is by being proven and tr proven true when everybody thought it was false. So everybody thinks something is false. Everybody thinks this guy is guilty. He's pleading his, his innocence, not ignorance. He's pleading innocence, but everybody thinks he's guilty. And then the evidence comes in and reveals he really is innocent. It's called vindication. I've been proven true. When you watch somebody, if this ever happened, and you hear that somebody, let's say we hear that this Thursday some Arkansan is going to be put to death for the murder of somebody back 30 years ago, you're going to assume, because of law and order, you're going to assume that guy's guilty. And when he's going to say, well, I didn't really do it, nobody believes him, he's been tried, he's been proven guilty, and he's been put to death for it. This is what death, even in the, in the first century, meant. When you were put to death by this capital punishment on a cross, everybody looked at you and thought, that person's guilty. He's not telling the truth. And that's why when Jesus was put to death, it was an incredible shame because it proved that he was a liar and he was insane, at least in the eyes of people. But three days later, when, Jesus, when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was considered vindication. Everything Jesus taught really is true. He was proven true. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the mystery of godliness. This is the story we believe in. He was manifested in the flesh. 
God came in the form of Jesus in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Holy Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the story, but I want you to look at line number two. He was vindicated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was killed by people, and everybody, even his own believers on the road to Emmaus, his own disciples said, we really thought he was true. We really thought his message was right. We really thought he was our hope, but now all our hopes are dashed. And he himself, as a resurrected Jesus listening to them, says, you guys don't understand this. God vindicated. This was the Old Testament. God was going to vindicate the Savior by raising him from the dead and declare him innocent. Romans chapter 1 says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. When did God say emphatically and with finality, this Son of Man is the Savior? When did he do it? When he raised him from the dead. It's vindication. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we think the words of the Scripture need to be preached? Why do we let it guide our lives? Why do we know for sure that when we preach from the Word of God here on Sunday mornings, we'll never have to backtrack and say, oops, I'm not really sure that's true, or it might be, be turned out to be a lot. No, we never. We preach with confidence and assurity because we know these words are true. Why do we know our faith is true? Because of resurrection. Question number two, what happens after we die? Yeah. <laughs> There's four of us for sure. What happens after we die? Yes, resurrection. Now, most of the time, you're not thinking about this. Most of the time when you're living fast and furious from one thing to the next and one day to the next, you're not thinking about what happens after you die. When things are going well for you and you've got life by the tail, you don't think about this stuff. But when life stops you like it did with the Calhouns last week, oh, by the way, you're going to have four bypasses this week. Suddenly you start thinking, is there more to life than this? And sometimes when you're still and when you let yourself stop for a few moments and you ponder and you're sitting still for a while, what Ecclesiastes called God builds eternity into the hearts of all people, you'll start thinking there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to the Christian faith than this. And the truth is, it's right, there is. We know this from the book of Hebrews in this passage that's written on the screen. It is appointed for man once to die and after that to face the judgment. There is your future. This is true for everybody. There's this celestial calendar up on the wall of heaven, and God has everybody's name on it. It has a date circled, and it has your name on it. That's the day you die. There's a day coming you will die. Unless the Lord comes first, you're going to die. You're not going to get out of this life alive. You all know this, right? Absolutely true. There's a day appointed that you will die, and after that, you face the judgment. How can you face judgment when you're dead? The answer is resurrection. Jesus is what is called the first fruits. He's the first one to rise from the dead, but he's not near the last one. We are. It's going to happen for us as well. And so what's going to happen after we die? There's still going to be life because of resurrection. That leads to the third question. Why do Christians live different from people in the world? 
Yeah, and that doesn't fit to me. That almost seems like a weird question, but I want to ask you this. How many of you heard this from your parents before you started going out with friends somewhere? Remember, bad companions... You've heard it, right? You heard this as a warning from your... Bad companions corrupt good morals. What's that mean? Who you hang around influences how you live. Now, where is that found in Scripture? It's found in the resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. You're like, I would have expected that in the ethical sections of Paul, but it's written in the doctrinal passage of resurrection. Why? Well, Paul says 1 Corinthians 15, if there is no resurrection, he says, let's just eat and drink and have fun and party all our lives like the rest of the people of the world who couldn't care less about the future. Let's just live it up, guys, because there's nothing beyond all this and nothing we do matters. This is indeed why people live this way. They don't really believe there is a resurrection. But if you do, he says, you need to wake up from your slumber, right? You need to pay attention to who you hang around with and don't let the world deceive you. It's going to make you think there's nothing beyond all this life, but you know the truth, Christian. You know the truth that there is resurrection after this. The all appointed for man once to die and after that to face the judgment. What are you going to be judged for? What's the basis of your judgment? How you live, because we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of God and receive what is due in us for what we've done in the body. Now recently, my daughter participated in a musical in high school, but in order to participate in that, you've got to try out. You've got to be given this role, and you try out to see if you've got the skills necessary, and then they place you in the right part. What we are doing and the way we live this life we're living right now, the one you've got in this present time, what you are doing is you are demonstrating to God where you want to spend eternity. With your life, you're showing to God your resume. With your life, you're trying out for a role that you want to play. And there's one of two places that you will be placed. There's only two of them. One of them is this side, being saved. We say this word often. A lot of people use this religious word often. And it's easy to lose it sometimes. Being saved means I want to be with God. I want to be right with God and at tune with God. That's what being saved means. The other side is being lost. I want God to lay off my life and leave me alone. I don't want him messing with my life. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't care what he says. And I'm going to tell you this. God doesn't send anybody to hell. God just gives you what you want. You want eternity without me? Fine. That's what hell is. He doesn't send anybody there. He just lets you continue going there. You've already decided for yourself and how you live, and he just lets you march on without him. Fine, you want me out of your life? I will withdraw myself and leave you to your own history and future. You are making this vote not with your lips. There's many people who say to me, Lord, Lord, I don't care what you say. What do you do? Your life is your vote. On this side are people who say, I just want God to leave me alone. Let me live the way I want to. Okay, it's called being lost. On this side are those who say, I know what God wants for me, and I'm going to strive to live at peace with him, and that's called being saved. And you're going to get one of those two choices. 
And God doesn't determine this. You do. He just articulates your life. He just gives you what you voted. Why do Christians live for, different from people in the world? Because we believe there's a resurrection where this distinction is going to be made. And we want with all our heart to be on this side. Is this where you want to be, church? Is this where you want to be? Then live like it. Then live like it. That leads to the next question. How can I be saved? Answer? Yeah, that's weird too, right? What in the world do you mean by that? Okay, we talked about this. This is where the judgment's going to be. And let's say, I'm going to assume you want to be here. I don't know anybody who wants to be lost. I just don't know. Maybe some do. Maybe they consciously make that choice and they're on that side. I'm going to leave them over there. But if you want to be in this side, how do you get there? This question was asked several times in Scripture. We're going to go to the first time it was asked in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when the people hear the message about the resurrection of Jesus and their own and the judgment to come, and the people say, what must we do? And you know the answer. We go to Acts 2 for everything, right? And there's a reason for that. And this is what he says. Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Anyone who wants to be here, this is how they do it. Repent, be baptized. Peter, later on writing about this, says baptism does save you first Peter chapter 3 and notice what he says it's not about the water and the physical body being washed he says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ here's the simple truth of what he's saying Paul puts it together in the next screen if you look at that Romans chapter 6 we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that when we're raised from that water, right? As he was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's the simple way of putting this. The only way anybody in general can be saved is by Jesus rising from the dead. His death was an atoning death, but if he stayed in the grave, it would not help you at all. Plenty of people died like that. But if he stayed in the grave, he couldn't help us at all. But because Jesus rose from the dead, humanity has an opportunity to be saved. There is no way to be saved in general without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you don't join in that resurrection by your own baptism and rising walk for a new life, you can't be saved in particular. The resurrection of Jesus saves in general. The resurrection of you from the watery grave of baptism saves you in particular. This does you no good if you don't join it with yours. And that's what he's saying if you want to be saved. You've got to experience a resurrection. You are buried in water, and when you come up out of that water, that's not just an additional thing that you have to do because you went under. That's as important to the baptism as anything. You are immersed and you were also resurrected from that watery grave, joining Jesus and his, and put that together, and you've got salvation. You've got a saved person. We are not making this up, and we in Churches of Christ are not people who just want to go around running around to everybody and say, oh, you haven't been baptized yet. We see the importance. Scripture declares it. Jesus' resurrection is essential, but so is yours. So is yours. Leads to the next question. 
How can I possibly live the Christian life? That doesn't make sense either. I want you to look at Ephesians 1 with me. I want you to recall, just in real quick detail, Elisha in the Old Testament. Elisha has this servant running up to him saying, Elisha, we're surrounded by the enemy, and there is no way we can survive this. This, the enemy has to surround it. There's no way we can survive this. And Elisha says, don't worry, we outnumber them. We have more power than they do. And he's looking at his chart, and he's saying, look at our army. We've got 30 people. Look at their army. They've got 30 million people. We are outnumbered, I promise you. And Elisha says, God opened his eyes so he can see. And when he opens his eyes... The, God opens the eyes of this servant and he sees the army of the Lord surrounding the enemy in mass numbers with massive power. He realizes then we really do outnumber the enemy. You're going to wonder, and so many people do, they're going to wonder, how can I possibly live the Christian life? I know what he's calling me to. He's calling me to holiness, and I know me, and I know what holiness is, and there's no way I can live the Christian life like that. And I agree with you, alone you can't. But Acts chapter 2, verse 38 doesn't just say be immersed in the waters of baptism, right? And rise to have your sins forgiven. It also says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive God's help to live this way. When Paul was writing the Ephesians, a bunch of really pagan people, they were all wondering, how can we possibly live this Christian life? And he says to them, I pray, just like Elisha did, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open. I want you to see what you've got. You don't realize what you've got. And I'm telling you, Christians in here, you need to know what you got. You will live with discouragement and frustration the rest of your life if you are not reviewing constantly what you've got from God. I pray for you as a church, Valley View, and all our visitors, was, I pray for you that God will open your eyes so that you'll see what you got. Too many of us are living like, I'm outnumbered and I can't do it. Yes, you can! God made it possible. He empowered you for it. And this is what he says in Ephesians 1. I'm going to pray that your eyes are open so you can see some things. One, now one, two, and three are not in your text. I'm breaking this passage down. I'm not adding any words. I'm adding some numbers. But don't leave here saying, you know, he added to the word because I'm just breaking it down in parts. I want you to know the hope to which you've been called. You've got hope. You're not supposed to live with a bunch of drudgery and fear and uncertainty. You live with hope that what God's going to do in you. Number two, you have the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You've got each other to help you be faithful. And don't you ever underestimate what the power of each other can do. And number three, he's given you the immeasurable greatness of his power. What power is that? Read on. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. When Jesus was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit, he could then send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to everyone who's immersed. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you to help you overcome the dead man you used to be and to live a new life. You're not on your own. You have the Holy Spirit of God. And because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Quit acting like you're condemned all the time. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because of the resurrection. Crickets. Is that not great news?
Resurrection makes it that way. One last question. What happens to all my uncertainty? How can I live with mysteries and struggles? And the answer is resurrection. There's so many things you're going to face that you don't know the answers to. I don't know how many times I have to say every week when people come up and ask questions or something in any setting, and I just have to say, I don't have a clue. Why does God not answer the prayer like it just it makes total sense that he would? I don't know. Why, when you're healthy as you can possibly believe, would you then suddenly have a heart attack and need four bypass? I don't, I don't know. A child of God living around? I don't know. In Hebrews chapter 11, we're given this great passage, and I want to read it to you. It's about every single person described in Hebrews chapter 11, our heroes of faith. Every single one of them was characterized by this without fail, which tells me this is going to be true of us too. If we're going to live the Christian life, this is true of us. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. True or false, Christians are going to die without receiving everything God promised them. It's true. Now this is frustrating. You say, well, God is able to give us everything we can ask or imagine. Yes, but he's not limited to this life in doing so. And you're going to have questions for the rest of your life. How is this just? How is this right? Why did God allow this? And you're not going to have the answer to those things. We are told that suffering is a part of the Christian life. It's going to be part of your life, and you'll not know it, and it will be stuck in your craw, and you will just be struggling with it the rest of your life. Go ahead and struggle. God's not limited to this life and making all his promises to you be realized. He's not limited to that. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but they've seen them. They know they're there. They know they're coming. They're living, knowing it's going to happen. Greeted them from a distance. We're going to see them. We're going to know them, but we're not going to have them. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak like this make it clear that this is not their home. There's a homeland awaiting them that's theirs. And I'm going to tell you this. There's going to be some things that happen in your life that no Christian's going to be able to explain to you a satisfactory answer for why it turned out that way. Not one believer will. But you have resurrection. God has more time than this life to make things right. He's giving people the optimum time. And sometimes it's not in this lifetime that you'll have an explanation. And we know that he's not limited to that because of resurrection. The greatest answer for all of human dilemma was revealed on this day many years ago. Some people haven't experienced Easter, though. The resurrection Jesus provided gave us grace and answers to the greatest questions. What can I believe in for sure? What must I do to be saved? What happens after I die? How can I possibly live this Christian life? And how do I deal with all the mysteries and uncertainty of life? And these questions are driven by fears and ignorance, and what we have is an answer from God in the form of a resurrection of Easter. And the answer has been provided. It goes back to the resurrection of Jesus, and it points forward to our own, and it gives us great confidence in between those times. So I'll ask you this. You know it's Easter on the calendar. You know it's Easter because of Stuart's pants. You know it's Easter because we've got visitors. 
But have you experienced Easter? Have you been given the complete answer and real experience for every dilemma you have? Have you been immersed in the waters of baptism to experience your own resurrection and receive all the benefits of Christ's? Have you? If you have, then you'll be able to live with these questions because you have answers. If not, these questions will plague you constantly, plague you for the rest of your life. And the weird thing is there's an answer available if you'll just receive it. Easter happened. And we're all experiencing it in some form in our world today. But it's not really something you've experienced until you have copied it, imitated it in your own death, burial, and resurrection. And this morning you have another opportunity, not because we're making this open. It's always open. But right now we're just making a call if there's anyone who's never really experienced it and you want the answers to these questions to be your answers. What are you waiting for? Jesus has already done his part. He's died and he's been buried and he's resurrected. He's just asking you to come and respond to him in the same way and receive all the benefits of it. And this morning, I hope there's somebody in here who might consider it. And if you are, right now we want to urge you, do something, respond to this as we stand and sing to encourage you.